God's rescues, protections, and provisions. This is part three, and today we're talking about Joseph. Our sub-theme is the best of times and the worst of times going together. The expansions and contractions of a birth. You know, when God shakes things, he shakes it up just as much as he shakes it down. So we're going to have the best of times with revival and glory and salvations and the worst of times with all kinds of shaking and trouble in the world around us. But if we dwell in the secret place, live by faith, don't let our love grow cold, keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll be able to go through this with God's protection and provision. And to encourage us in this, we've been looking at a few of the Old Testament stories about the way God provides. Now, if he can provide food, shelter, and light for millions of people in the wilderness for 40 years, there's no question that God can provide for us. But we have some responsibility in this too, because it says he who dwells in the secret place, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We need to live by faith. We need to have faith in the covenant of God. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and not look at the storm. Because Peter only sank when he took his eyes off Jesus to look at the storm. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, our faith in the word of God, our feet firmly established in his covenant and promises, he can meet every need of ours. He can provide for us, protect us, and get us through the difficult times in between or simultaneous with the great revival, joy and outpouring and laughter, salvations and healings and the miracles and expansion in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we're asking that you would move supernaturally in our lives and enable us to not only see what you're saying, but have an understanding of how it applies and that faith would come in each of our hearts today, Father, according to your promise that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. For some background scriptures today, we're looking at 2 Peter 2.9 and this is what it said. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to rescue you. He can keep you safe. He needs your faith. Matthew 24, 3-14, I'm going to read this again because it's so important for us to understand that even though you know, the doctrine about the end times and the coming of Jesus has a lot of different versions and ideas around. If we read what Jesus said, it sets us in a right direction because nobody can dispute Jesus. Here we go. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Could be three questions, could be two. But it's a when and a sign. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Notice he didn't say, I promise no one will deceive you. He said, You take heed that no one deceives you, showing us that staying out of deception is our responsibility. In other words, we've got to stay in the word of God all the time so that we make sure no one, no demon, nothing can deceive us. Amen. For he said, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. 
and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Again, our responsibility to see that we're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Perhaps I should read it like this. All these things must come to pass. You can't pray to stop wars and rumors of wars because he said they must come to pass, but we can be protected through it all. Jesus went on to say in verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. So we can see here that there will be famines. These things must come to pass. It's no use praying, Lord, let there be no famines, because he says there will. But the stories in the Bible and the objective of today's message is to remind us that God can provide for his people despite famines. He can do it in a wilderness. He did it in the famine last week, and he can do it in the famine that we'll read about this week. Amen. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Again, birth pains happen when there is a swelling growth going on because something's growing and about to come to birth, but it also involves contractions and dilations and expansion. So this time that we're in is intensifying in birth pains because they get stronger and closer together. There's going to be a birth of the new millennial reign of Jesus, and there's going to be lots of new births in his kingdom, but there's also going to be shaking down with famines, with pestilence, with earthquakes, with wars. And this week we've certainly heard of a fresh earthquake and a brand new war starting up. This needs God's move to keep us safe. Amen. Verse 9 then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So being hated, going through tests and trials and persecutions is not to be unexpected. And we just have to remember that Jesus showed us what to do when we're persecuted. He said, pray for them that persecute you and despitefully use you. He said, if they persecute you in this city, flee to another. We have to obey Jesus exactly. Then he is able to minimize the effect of the persecutions stopping us completely and we can keep moving. Amen. Then he said this, and then many will be offended. That means we got to watch out not to be offended. We need to keep practicing forgiveness. They'll betray one another. We must not do it. We've got to have loyalty. They will hate one another and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We have to keep our love running hot, keep up forgiveness, stay in the word of God, stay in the spirit of God, keep praying things through, standing on the word that promises us the ability to forgive, that I forgive all others as God in Christ has forgiven me. Amen. We don't want our love to grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The best of times 
and the worst of times going on simultaneously or in rotation. There's going to be both these things happening and this is what's coming up. But God can keep you safe and rescue you through it all. But there will take a few things, including submission to God and to the leaders he places in our life. Amen. Our series theme is God is growing your faith in him by what he has done so that you're ready for what he will do. Amen. We're on part three today. This is Joseph. This is Genesis chapter 30, verse 24. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add, in her case, to me another son. But the word Joseph means the Lord shall add. So we want to look at this theme today. What is Jesus showing us about his rescue, protection, and provision from the story of Joseph. We're going to see eight things. First one, Joseph's destiny. He will add. So Joseph's destiny from before he was born was that he would add to God's kingdom. And I'll just add to that. He not only added to it, he certainly didn't allow any subtraction. So he had to be involved in protection, provision, and rescue. Amen. Number two, Joseph's favor shown with the coat of many colors, picturing a many-faceted anointing. Three, Joseph's dream. God gave Joseph a vision of authority and administration. The objective wasn't to put him over people so they'd be subservient, but was to put him in a place of authority so he could administer God's love and wisdom on earth to protect people and rescue them. Number four, Joseph's pit. Certain he went through testing before triumph. That could be called Joseph's persecution. Number five, Joseph's Potiphar. This was partial dream fulfillment, but it was a flesh test as well. Number six, Joseph's prison. Again, a partial dream fulfillment because he administered the prison, but this was a patience test. He felt like he'd been forgotten, and he had for several years. Number seven, Joseph's palace, which was a mature dream fulfillment, and he finally came into the fullness of the assignment God handed in his life, and he operated in wise administration. And remember, he lived in a palace. He had an awesome chariot to ride around in. He had wonderful outfits and clothing, and he had a princess to marry, and he had lots of kids. Amen. He was blessed. Number eight, Joseph's destiny fulfilled. Through the many-coloured anointing and dream, he saved God's family or God's kingdom. He enabled them not only to stay safe, he provided for them, as we'll read later, and their little ones so that the family of God could grow and thus the kingdom of God could grow on the earth. Amen. God used Joseph. He looked after him. Even though he went through persecution and testing and temptation, God protected him, brought him through, and brought him to his destiny. And this is what we want to see happening for you. And that's why we look at the Word of God, because this not only enables us to avoid being deceived, but empowers us with the grace of God to fulfill our destiny too. So number one today, Joseph's destiny was in his name. He will Add equals kingdom growth. There it is again, Genesis 30, verse 24. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall 
add. Amen. God's going to use you to help win people, disciple them, add them to his kingdom, lead them into being great worshippers of God and fulfilling their destiny as well. This is God's destiny for you to be part of a soul winning, discipling, maturing team. Amen. Number two, Joseph's favour led to a coat of many colours, or you could say an anointing of many colours and facets. Genesis 37 verse 3, Now Israel, that's Jacob's new name, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic or coat of many colours. Again I said, many anointings, many faceted anointing, all, of course, parts of Jesus' anointing that were allotted to him. But these are just some that I noticed. Leadership anointing. He had a dream and a vision. He knew the way forward and he knew what it was going to take so he could show the way forward to lead many people into protection, provision, safety and rescue. Amen. He also had an anointing for dream interpretation, helping others into their dreams. He had an anointing for stewardship, administering another's property. He initially ministered the wealth of Potiphar, then he administered the wealth and the affairs of the prison, and then he administered the wealth and the affairs of Egypt and Pharaoh. It was stewardship. He didn't own any of it but he was able to administer as a wise steward, which God wants for us because we're all stewards. Amen. He had an anointing for wisdom to lead the way into fairness, equity and provision for everybody. He had an anointing for holiness. That's an anointing that cannot be corrupted by any test, trial or temptation. But as with our faith, this has to be tested. You will go through tests but you can pass the tests by the anointing of God. God, it says, you haven't faced a temptation, but such as is common to man, and God with the temptation will provide the way to escape. You don't have to fall in temptation. You can go through with God's grace and anointing, but it will take again. You've got to live by faith, stay in the word, meditate in the word day and night, walk in the spirit, stay in love, keep your eyes on Jesus, be a worshiper of Almighty God and live in the secret place. Amen. Abiding in Jesus. You've got to do it. You've got to live like that and you will have the ability, the grace from God to overcome every temptation and trial that you go through in Jesus' name. Amen. The other thing we see in Joseph's multifaceted anointing was that he was anointed for a very supernatural forgiveness, which of course we are in Christ. He certainly knew what it was to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile because he was able to forgive his brothers and through his forgiveness of them, rescue God's people. His destiny had a big roadblock in it and it was unforgiveness, but he overcame that roadblock, fulfilled his destiny and changed his brothers from selfish murderers into those that would be humbly submissive and able to carry God's dream on through their tribes, the tribes of Israel, and pass it on to subsequent generations. Amazing.
So what's God showing us about his rescue? Joseph had a destiny to add. Joseph's favour was shown in his coat of many colours. Number three today, Joseph's dream. God's vision of authority and administration amid rivalry and hatred, and you could say persecution. So I'm reading now from Genesis chapter 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colours. Verse 4. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They were jealous of the love of his father. They were jealous of his special coat. Now they were murderously furious because of this dream. But what they didn't realize was that Joseph was sent by God to be a leader, not a tyrant, a leader who knows the way, shows the way, and goes the way. He was the leader that could get them through a famine sent by the devil to kill them. We've got to understand this. Joseph's dream reflected his God-given calling and assignment in relation to them. Initially, they totally rejected them, but of course, this was fulfilled by the end of the story. So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now, Jesus gave a parable for us that goes along the same line. And it said there was a king, he went away to get a kingdom, but some of his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. Now, primarily, this is speaking about Jesus as Lord, who has the right to rule. Lord means boss, controller, one in charge. Jesus has the right to control and order you around, and me. But these people said, we will not have this man reign over us. But at the end of Jesus' story, when the king was made a king and he came back, in verse 27 of Luke 19, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. See, Jesus told another parable about this. He says, what king is there who has 10,000 troops, doesn't sit down first and think about whether with his 10,000 troops he's any match for the other king coming against him with 20,000 troops. So what does he do? He sends ambassadors to ask for the conditions of peace. The greater king, or the one with a greater amount of firepower, says to him, you can have peace with me, but everything you have is now mine. And that's us really being honest with ourselves about Jesus. He's coming. He's going to judge everybody according to their works. 
And we have to sit down now and decide whether we have enough righteousness on our own firepower to overcome him that's coming. And the answer is no, we don't. So it's better now to ask the conditions of peace from Jesus. Say, what's it going to take for me to be in right relationship with you? And he says, give me the ownership of everything and come under my dominion and let me be the ruler of your life. I want to be your king. And there's no alternative to that. And so if we yield to him and surrender to him now, give it all over to him, claim not to own anything, but we are merely stewards of what he now owns. And if we obey him as Lord, and if we put our total trust in him, he can keep us safe. Remember Hebrews 5, 9 says, he's able to give eternal salvation. That's eternal. That's from today onwards. In any situation, it means rescue, deliverance, safety, healing to all those who obey him. Obedience and Lord go together. Paul's first prayer was, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus told him, yes, Lord. Amen. That's the way it is. That is the New Testament. You know, the saying in hell is, no one tells me what to do. Their theme song is, I did it my way. And they end up in hell because that's the way you get there. Amen. So what's the way to heaven? I did it Jesus way. I submit to him. He tells me what to do and I do it. Amen. So what's Jesus showing us about his rescue, protection and provision from the story of Joseph? You've got a destiny. He will add, cause kingdom growth for you. Jesus says he's given you favor, a coat of many colors. We also looked at Joseph's dream, God's vision of his assignment, authority, administration, being a steward, being able to know the way, go the way and show the way through the God-given dream. The anointing on his life was to do this. It kept showing up. It showed up at Potiphar's house. It showed up in the prison. And then eventually it came to full maturity in the palace. Amen. So number four, we're looking at Joseph's pit of persecution, testing before triumph. Genesis 37, 12 to 28 says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now, the story goes like this. When Joseph went to find his brothers, they saw him coming and this is what they said. They conspired to kill him and they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come now, therefore, let's kill him, throw him into a pit, and then we'll say, some wild beast has devoured him, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So they caught him, they stripped him of his coat of many colours and threw him into a pit. One of his older brothers, Judah, decided that it would be smarter to sell him than to kill him because there's no profit in killing him. So they sold him to Ishmaelite traders who are on their way to Egypt. Amazing story, isn't it? Just an amazing story. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. So you can see in this story, jealousy led to hatred, led to persecution and murder. 
trying to stop him from fulfilling his destiny and dream and his God-given role in their lives. They were doing their best to kill off their only hope of survival and the survival of their family. You know, you need a leader. I need a leader. We all need Jesus. He's trying to rescue us. He's trying to keep us safe and lead us into our future. We all need a shepherd. But the truth is, you can't stop God's purpose. Joseph had the dream. He declared the dream, even though it was very risky for him to do that, led to all this persecution. But because it had been declared prophetically out into the open, God could watch over his word to perform it, kept Joseph safe, got him on the way to his destiny, even though he was sold as a slave. An amazing story. Remember, the song of hell is I did it my way and their theme statement is no one tells me what to do. But our statement is Jesus is Lord, which means he tells me what to do. Amen. Number five, what else can we learn from this story about God's rescues, protections and provisions? Number five, Joseph had a Potiphar. It was, again, partial dream fulfillment and more testing, this time testing on his flesh. Let's read now Genesis 39, 1 to 19. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And it doesn't matter what you go through. If you've got your eyes on Jesus, you're born again. The Lord's with you. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, the story goes on that Potiphar saw that whatever Joseph put his hand to was blessed. So he said, I'm better off releasing the future of my own personal business to him and getting my hands completely right out of it, it'll go better with Joseph in control than me in control. Smart man, that was good. That was Joseph's anointing and assignment getting a practice run. He was learning about administration. He was learning about stewardship and management. But there was a very, very serious test against his holiness because Potiphar's wife took a shine to him. She decided to try to seduce him. She tried over and over again to seduce him, but he kept saying no. And eventually when there was no one else around, she tried extra hard. She grabbed hold of his outfit or his cloak. He ran and it came off in her hand and then she kept it, changed her mind about him. When Potiphar came home, she said, the Hebrew tried to rape me. Here's the proof. I grabbed his garment and screamed. He ran away. So they put Joseph in prison. He passed the temptation for being a fornicator. Amen. And remember 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 says, flee sexual immorality, which is exactly what he did. Amen. First Corinthians goes on to say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The King James, flee fornication. It's a bit of an alliteration and it's easy to remember. Glory to God. So what else is Jesus showing us about his rescue, protection and provision from this story? Number six, Joseph's prison. Again, partial dream fulfillment because he was put in charge of the prison and it was a patience test. So we read in Genesis 39 that 
the master, Potiphar, put Joseph in prison. But it wasn't long before the master of the prison started to recognize his gift. His anointing just kept showing up, his favor from God. And it wasn't long before the master of the prison put everything he was in charge of in Joseph's hand because he realized it was better with Joseph doing it than even he was doing it. He surrendered everything he was responsible for over to Joseph, just like we surrender everything over to Jesus. Amen. The Lord was with Joseph, it says in Genesis 39, 21, and he kept everything in the prison running along. Then another one of Joseph's anointings showed up, the ability to interpret the dreams of others. Earlier, Pharaoh had rejected two of his servants, his baker and his butler. He put them in prison. And after they'd been in prison for some time with Joseph administering the prison, they both came out looking perplexed in the morning. Joseph said, what's going on? We've both had a dream. The butler explained his dream. Joseph interpreted that he would be restored to Pharaoh. The baker explained his dream and he said, the interpretation of your dream is that in three days, Pharaoh's going to have you killed. Maybe he found him to be guilty in some kind of a treasonous plot. I don't know. And then Joseph said to the butler who was going to go into Pharaoh's palace again, remember me when you get there, plead my case because I don't want to be stuck here in this prison because I've done nothing wrong. And I was sold out from my brothers in the land of my heritage. I did nothing wrong there either. And here I am. Please intercede for me with Pharaoh. But the butler forgot for a number of years until we get to number seven, which is Joseph's palace. Mature dream fulfillment and wise administration. And we see in this, we see the anointing of administration. We see the anointing of rulership. And we also see again the anointing of dream interpretation. So this is Genesis chapter 41, starting from verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Now in his dream, he saw seven cows coming up out of the river, good cows, fat cows. Then seven skinny cows came up, ate the fat ones, and there was no sign they were any better. And so he didn't understand what that meant. Then he slept and dreamed a second dream from verse 5. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now Pharaoh was troubled by this kind of double-headed dream, and people asked him what's going on. He said, I've dreamed a dream, no one could interpret it. Then, he says, a couple of years after he was in prison, the butler remembered Joseph. So when Pharaoh heard about Joseph, he went and got him out of the prison. He brought him in and said, okay, can you interpret this dream? And Joseph gives a detailed interpretation. He says, the dream, what you dreamed about is what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be seven good years, then seven years of famine. One year of famine is usually bad enough, but seven years of famine is a disaster. And then Joseph, with God's wisdom, explained to Pharaoh how to get through the seven years of famine. He said, during the seven good years, you save up 20%, get everyone to bring in 20%, put it in big silos or whatever. And then for seven years, you build up this great stockpile of grain. And then during the seven years of famine, you live on what you've stored up. 
It's a very smart move. And then Pharaoh says, wow, not only can you interpret it, you also know how to fix it. So he knows the way and he's showing the way. And so Pharaoh said, you can lead us in going the way. And so suddenly Joseph's dream is now fulfilled. He's gone from the prison to the prime minister at the palace in one go, second only to Pharaoh over Egypt, and he's completely in charge of everything under Pharaoh's control. Think about this, what he got. It's amazing. And then it says in verse 42, Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And it explains in this chapter that Pharaoh also gave him virtually a princess-type girl for his wife, which became the mother of Ephraim and Manasseh, which Jacob received back as his own sons, and then Joseph had other sons which were his. So you can see in this that there was famine all around and God had a plan to rescue all of those brothers that tried to kill their rescuer, just like the people who tried to and did crucify Jesus. We will not have this man reign over us. They killed him, <laughs> but he rose from the dead. They sold Joseph but he comes back as the great ruler in Egypt who rescues them, protects them, and saves their lives. An amazing story. And you've got to think about this, and this is where we can build our faith for what's coming in the future. All around was a famine, but Joseph lived in a palace. He had a position of authority. He had fine clothing. He drove an amazing royal chariot, but he used his power and position to help others from being in trouble in the famine. He helped his master's kingdom and he rescued and protected God's family and kingdom at the same time. He made Pharaoh, one of the most prosperous guys around in this process, saved all the land of Egypt, and in the finish, Pharaoh owned everything. Pharaoh owned all the land. It's amazing. It's a picture of what God is doing through you and through his people. He's bringing to pass his plan. God can raise you up to use you not only to be very safe and very well protected and provided during the famines that are going to come. Jesus said, they must come. Amen. Famines, pestilence and earthquakes. He said they must come, but God can provide for you and he can put you in a position of authority, primarily through prayer, to see that his people are protected, to see that good things happen to the people around about, to stop a wicked or cruel tyrants or the work of the enemy ruining and destroying our nations completely, and to see that we are protected and provided, and all of that as well in the midst of it all. Amen. The worst of times and the best of times, it's all coming at once. Glory to God. So, and finally, number eight, what else can we learn about God's rescues, protections, and provisions through this? Joseph's destiny fulfilled through the many-colored anointing and dream. He saved God's family 
and brought his brothers to maturity. Now, this last little bit is kind of hilarious, but it's an amazing outcome. And this shows up right at the end of Genesis, because after their mutual father, Jacob slash Israel, had died, then these brothers knew what they did to Joseph, throwing him in a pit, planning to kill him, stealing his coat of many colours, lying to his father, selling him into slavery. They knew what they'd done against this great, powerful prime minister, second only to Pharaoh in the land. And so they come to plead for their lives. Let's read this. This is Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 to 21. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Has the dream come to pass? All their sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. Amen. It's a picture of grain. It's a picture of all kinds of things. But it is homage, respect, and recognition of his gift and calling. All his brothers fell down before him. Behold, we are your servants. Dream fulfilled. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. I guess he's talking about himself in the position to which God had raised him and for which God had prepared him. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Amen. This, as well as many other things, is a story of great forgiveness. And through the love and the grace of God and God's ability to forgive, able to save others. A story goes like this that I heard years ago. The young man was a leader in a youth group and he was trying to win some souls to Jesus. And he picked up this real rough guy and brought him to the youth group. And all that the rough guy did when he got confronted with the gospel, he went around and jumped all over the leader's car and dinted the roof in. And when he got off, the youth leader, whose car was damaged, turned to him and said, uh, would you like a lift home now? And he drove him home in the dented car. That's forgiveness. That's love. The guy he drove home was so convicted. He got saved and he is still to this day a minister in the Australian Christian churches. And I know him personally. He's still there ministering. Isn't that amazing? And planted some great churches in his life. Why? Because the power of forgiveness is overwhelming. So I want to encourage you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, now is the day for you to do it. Because how can you turn away from a man that was willing to be whipped, spat on, false imprisonment, false arrest, false trial, beaten, punched, crown of thorns rammed in his head, nails through his hands and feet, and hung on a cross because he forgives you. Because what you've done in your life, through any sin that you've committed, is probably worse than having someone jump all over the roof of your car and dinning it in. He forgave you. And if you'll receive his forgiveness today and understand that he rose from the dead, having carried all your sins, proving that your sin is forgiven, it's gone, it's been annihilated. 
If you'll receive him as your saviour, if you'll confess him as your Lord, meaning you take him as the one who controls your life, and you'll follow him as your good shepherd, understanding that he is the king with greater firepower, today you'll receive his new birth, be born again, your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can enjoy his rescue, protection, and provision, no matter how shaky it gets, in the famines, the pestilence, the wars that are coming, God will look after you. So let's pray this prayer today. And if you pray this prayer that I'm about to lead you in, saying what I say after me, and you say it to God and mean it with all your heart, Jesus will come into your life. You'll be born again and you'll be in his kingdom with Jesus as your king. So say this after me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying for everything I've done wrong. I turn from my life of sin and separation from God. I believe you rose from the dead. I receive you as my Saviour. I confess that you are my Lord. I receive your new birth today. Thank you that I'm born again. Thank you that my name's in your Lamb's Book of Life. And thank you for your protection and provision and rescue and safety as I obey you as my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me pray for you now, Father. I pray for each one who said that prayer today and ask you to touch their life, pouring love into their hearts, letting them know that right at this second they are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the love of God shed into their heart by the Holy Spirit. And now they're in your protection and care. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for watching today. And remember, God's protection, provision, rescue and safety are for you as you walk with Jesus as your Lord from this point forward. Amen. God bless you.